Welcome to The Cut Presents In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, Editor-in-Chief of The Cut. For the next few weeks, I'll be taking over this feed and talking to women we at The Cut love and admire or just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path, what got in their way, and how they think about bringing others along now that they've arrived. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be spending time with the legendary designer Anna Sui, an artist who has been a bastion of the fashion industry since launching her ready-to-wear label in 1981. I got to peek behind the curtain of her creative process, delve into her rich encyclopedic knowledge of fashion, and discuss what it takes to build a career with such an astounding lifespan. We also talked about the wild ride that was 70s in New York and celebrated how the city is still so inspiring to her today. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Hi, Anna. Thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. I'm so excited. So let's go back to early years. What designers or models did you idolize growing up and what really drove you to become a designer and move to New York and all of those things? Yeah, well, I mean, I came to New York when I was about four and I was the flower girl at my aunt and uncle's wedding. So when I got back to Michigan, I told my parents that when I grow up, I want to move to New York and become a fashion designer. It took me a lot of time to figure out what that meant and what, how to do that. And one of the things was fashion magazines. So I, I asked for a subscription to Vogue. And then I had a babysitter that had 17 magazine. And so many things that even to this day that resonate with me were from those early days of looking at fashion magazines. In fact, I was just in Florida at Fort Lauderdale where um, the museum had my exhibition, The the World of Anna Sui. And I did a conversation with Barbara Hulanicki, who was the designer of Biba. And when I was a kid, I saw Biba in Seventeen magazine. And they had like six pages of their clothes. And you could buy the patterns. They were made by McCall's. So I got the patterns. I made the clothes. And I was so excited in my adult life to actually meet Biba and get to ask her all these questions about those patterns and all that came about. But also, I, I saw an article in Life magazine about two young ladies who went to Parsons School of Design. And I thought, okay, I have to go to Parsons because that's where designers go. And in the article, they talked about how Elizabeth Taylor opened a boutique for them. So I thought, okay, so I have to go to Parsons and then I'll be able to become fashion designer. So I wrote to Parsons, got the registration catalog, and kind of geared my whole education so that I would have the portfolio, the grade point average, everything that I needed to get into Parsons. Yeah. I mean, what was it like, though, coming of age during that time, whether 
seeing all the different styles and trends like from that era. I feel like everything, everything that's old comes back. What was it like during that time? Yeah, I mean, American fashion was very different then because it was very American and very accessible. So like our local department store had the fashions that were in those magazines. It wasn't like you had to go to New York or to LA to find those designs. We had them in in the department store in Detroit. Everything was available and affordable. You know, it wasn't like we didn't have that other level of like designer clothes from Europe. It was designer clothes that were made for the American market. So it was, it was kind of a different thing. Everything was accessible. And when I came to New York and went to Parsons, I actually didn't finish because I overheard two young ladies talking about a job that was available. And I ran up there because I had read about this designer in 17 magazine and also in some other, other fashion magazines. And I got the job. And back then there were lots and lots and lots of jobs because clothing was made here. All the clothing makers were all in this area, the garment center. There were thousands of companies and thousands of jobs. But I'm, I was really lucky because I got hired as a designer, not an assistant designer, not as an assistant. She gave me my own design room and I could create clothes uh, for the four different divisions that the company had. So it was a great, great introduction into the industry. And I just learned so much because she was a really tough boss too. Very, very, very demanding. But I think that was the best training I ever had. What would you say you miss most about those times? I think the fact that fabric was made in the USA, that all the clothes were available to buy. There was a whole infrastructure of support between designers, design companies, and buyers and department stores. You know, when I started um, my own collection, the way I started was I did a small collection of clothes because I had some friends that, um, this is during the punk rock time, and they did really cool punk rock jewelry. And they were doing what was called the boutique show. And they were selling all these great stores all across country. And I said, oh, that sounds like so much fun. I want to do that too. And so they said, well, why don't you make a small collection and you could share the booth with us, which is what I ended up doing. And, but in, at the boutique show, I ended up getting orders from Macy's and Bloomingdale's, which were the two very fashion forward stores at that time. And back then they had fashion directors who were always looking for new young designers that were doing something different. And they had a budget for them to have like your own like little area in the department, like right at, right at the top of where the escalators land on the floor. Like they were called swing shops then. And they would do different themes. And so the first theme was kind of new wave. And I had done this very new wave collection. And so that's how I ended up getting the New York Times ad, which got me fired from my regular job. But it worked out okay. Yeah, but of course it was scary at the time because, you know, like with a $300 paycheck, you have to start a business. It's just kind of unheard of. But like, that's how I started my business. What do you feel like was the biggest hurdle in, in starting your business? Did you feel like it was financial or just figuring out all of, you know, the parts? It's always been money. Yeah, it's always been money. Yeah, because every penny that you make, you have to put right back into the business. And to as your business grows, you need more capital. So I ended up doing a lot of freelance. I freelanced in Italy for seven years, jumping on the plane every two weeks and going to Italy 
to work at other companies to um, help finance my collection. So, but I think, again, one of the great things that happened out of doing all the freelance in Italy is not only did I learn the textile market there, but it also gave me like the courage to work internationally anywhere because I didn't speak Italian. And during those years, towards the end of the 90s, I I started getting pursued by all the the Japanese. In the 90s, you famously turned to grunge for inspiration. You were freelancing for all these companies. How were you able to balance all of that? Did you feel like you had personally and creatively come into your own? I've never felt that. So that's not a phrase that I use. (laughs) Yeah. It probably wasn't even until we did our exhibition that we even looked back at the accomplishment. So everything... You know, when you're working on a collection, you're also working on production of the previous collection and you're thinking about plans for the following collection. So you never really, you never really stopped in one place thinking like, oh, that was great. You know, you're just constantly running. A lot of your work, you talked about using a lot of different materials, mixing a lot of different things. Obviously, now the sustainability conversation is fashion is really popular. And in that sense, you were ahead of the times and really finding different materials and sourcing. What first drew you to using different textiles and and finding different ways to source materials? Well, in the very beginning, when I started my own company, that was all dead stock. But we didn't call it that. It was just like what was available. And there used to be some fabric stores on the Lower East Side, and I would go and find fabrics and make sure that they had 20 yards or 50 yards, and then we would sell that, and then I'd find more. It's kind of very similar to how a lot of new designers are working, but it was just being resourceful because I couldn't afford to do the fabric minimums that the larger companies were were requiring. Then as my business grew, I started going back to some of those large companies and the trick was to get to meet the owner and usually the owner took a shine to me because they saw how hard I was working how interested I was in their fabric development and then they would always do me a favor and extend credit for me but it took a lot of schmoozing like you had to really really you know get to meet the right people and get to show them how how earnest you were about working with them and developing things with them how does sustainability factor into your work today since you've, you know, been, you were ahead of the times and doing this for so long, how are you consciously thinking about it now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always been on my mind because it, it never made sense to me to like design something, send, send the specs over to China and have them send you the sample. You make corrections and send it back. Like all of that is just so much air flights you know it's like it's crazy where we do everything here like that's the only way I know how to do clothes we have the design room here we drape the pattern here cut to order we're, we're not making you know 500 pieces and then hoping they're going to sell and then if you have 200 pieces left over you dump them somewhere that's not how my business is set up we make to order so you know when we show the collection then we spend the next month month and a half in market selling it and then we order the fabric and then we make the, the clothing. So there's very little waste that way. And we recycle a lot of our patterns too, because so many styles are coming back. So many requests for like the styles from the nineties have been right. coming through. Um, you know, I did a, a, a small capsule collection with Mark Jacobs for his store when he redid his grunge collection because he had never even shipped his grunge collection. 
because he got fired and he they never produced it. Mm-hmm. So he had reproduced his grunge collection for his Madison Avenue store and invited me to produce some of my grunge collection alongside. Um, I did something for opening ceremony that way also. So I think that, you know, it, and there's just such an interest, like so many people are are so interested in like fashion from the 90s or from the 2000s. I was going to ask you, do you have a favorite show from the 90s or from the past couple decades, yourself or or someone else's that, that always inspires you or that you like to look back at? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a, a, that's a big question. You know, of course, I think my favorite show is my first show because that seemed to be like the impossible dream. Like I never dreamt that I could compete on a world level, on a global level, have these famous fashion models and all of that happened. You know, I, I, I just, my friend Stephen Mizell helped me a lot. Um, I knew a lot of the models socially, but I had never worked with them. And when he kind of pushed me into doing my first show in 1991, Linda and Naomi helped me get all the other models. Uh, Stephen introduced me to Francois Narist, who did the makeup, and Garen, who did the hair. And to this day, I still work with Garen. I still, midstream, we I switched from Francois to Pat McGrath. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with her for like the last 20 years. So, I mean, it's, I, I never dreamt that back then, but it just kind of, again, organically happened. Last week, Kanye West accused one of the biggest Twitch streamers of being an industry plant. It's an idea that comes up so often on platforms like TikTok and elsewhere. You see people who have blown up seemingly overnight. And the question is, Who's behind them, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Tipping the scales and pulling the lever to make them seemingly the next it thing on the internet. This week on Power User, is it even possible to create an industry plant on the internet? And if so, how? Since you are a tried and true New Yorker, I wanted your opinion on just the sense of obviously this has, you know, been such a place for being a hub of style. Do you feel like when people say like, you know, New York is very different after the pandemic or that New York is dead, what do you feel like the the city still has to offer? And I think specifically younger designers, because so much in manufacturing and being a designer here in New York has changed. You know, I don't forget I came to New York in the 70s when it was like bombed out, burned out. I mean, the, the economy was horrible. It was a garbage strike. But it was the most exciting time of my life, you know, like coming to this new city, seeing this whole underground culture. And I think that there's a similar thing going on now um, where um, in the, the area on the Lower East Side, um, Dime Square area, there's all those new boutiques. There's all these new designers that are doing pop-ups down there or selling to some of the stores down there like, Cafe Fagat or um, designers like Emily Bode. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of excitement. And it reminds me very much of like when I first started that they're just so resourceful figuring out how to get textiles and having somebody sew these small lots of clothes and, you know, and gradually trying to grow their business. How did you keep your passion for, for dressing and wanting to get dressed during pandemic times? Or did you wear sweatpants? <laughs> no, no. Um, I love getting dressed up. I mean, I come to the office every day with a dress and makeup and jewelry and, and boots. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm dressed like runway every day. So I love that. So, um, I mean, the most casual I get is maybe I wear a pair of sneakers with 
my outfit. Right. But that that's only because it's like cool looking, not because I wear sneakers. You know, it's it's just <laughs> yeah. I'm just much more formal, I guess. Yeah. Um, and in fact, during the pandemic time, I thought I don't have anything to wear. Like, like I don't have sweatpants or, and I would see like all these women in my neighborhood walking around in tie dye, like tie dye um, sweatpants and sweatshirts. And I think, no, I can't do it. I just can't do it. <laughs> so no, I, I, I never, I never did that. Did you feel differently about not having an actual physical show and having to present digitally or just having to get your work out, you know, on social media, et cetera, instead of the traditional ways of presentations and shows and appointments? Yeah. I mean, I love doing shows like that. Like to me, I think I give a good show, but when that happened at the same time, I have um, three of my nieces and two of my nephews that have moved to New York and one of uh, two of them were very interested in film so we started talking about a video and they actually produced a video for me. Oh, nice. Um, and this last season, again, we produced a video and it's just so much fun working with them. It's so much fun getting their input. And it's just kind of like learning a new medium to express yourself. And you can kind of control it even more because you can direct the models to do what you want them to do right. where on the runway it's just like once they're out there you can't you don't control it anymore yeah so what are you excited to see now that things are getting back to more of a quote-unquote normal you know show schedule all of that what are what are you excited to see um I mean I mean remember the first time I went out to dinner when um last in the spring last year when things started easing up and people started going out again and it was outdoor dining. And I remember being at one of my favorite restaurants, uh, Frenchette, and I thought I was going to get whiplash because I kept looking at what everybody was wearing. Yeah. And like there were so many girls dressed in so many great dresses and like there was fashion going on. And it was just, it was so exciting to see again. And you couldn't wait to see what shoes they were wearing, what kind of jewelry, you know, it was just like, that's the fun of getting dressed up is it's like a secret language, a secret vocabulary where you're expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really want to do this episode with you because I think that you have something that many designers do not have, which is longevity. You've been in the industry for so long. I know you've seen a hundred million more than me, but I've seen so many designers come and go. And it's really amazing to see someone grow and evolve over time. What is What has been your secret? I think Coco Chanel gave us all the secret. You need a perfume. Like clothes, you cannot make money. I don't care how much you you try unless you maybe make like the same jeans over and over again, the same shirt over and over again. But when you're doing a collection and you're making new patterns every season, it's very difficult. So I think that my licensed products are what have kept me in business all these years, like the cosmetics and the fragrance. Once they became global, once they kind of really we're like got a huge audience, you know, that's really what carries my business. So I wanted to also, you know, talk about when you say you're sticking to your guns, I think also how have you been able to trust your own vision over all these years? Because I think that especially, you know, here in New York, I feel like there's so many different kinds of inspiration. How do you trust your own vision? How do you trust and say like, this is what I'm going after. This is what I'm going to do after all this time. And knowing like whether you got a good review, bad review, whether sales were good or bad, that you were still going to stick to, you know, what you wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I can't help myself. It's really just how it comes out. 
you know, even during when I'm trying to do minimalist or I'm trying to do tailored, it, it comes out like Anna Sui. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what happens. It's just like, I intentionally try to do something. <laughs> I'm surprised you've ever even tried to do minimalist. That doesn't even seem like something you would want to do. Yeah, look at some of my collections. You'll, you'll see it's there. It's there. <laughs> even, even like there's one that people post all the time. I think it's like 95, spring 95. And it's all the supermodels, like in these very, very little shiny dresses. Uh-huh. It's that that's all they're wearing is that dress and a pair of shoes. There's no accessories on top. You know, there's, there's Kate Moss, there's Shalom, there's Amber. They're, they're all wearing these like shiny dresses that are halters and cut out. I mean, very much like what's going on right now. Yeah. So how do you find fresh inspiration since you've been doing this for so long after 40 years? Like, how do you still... Do you still feel like you naturally have the hunger and just you just get up and you're like, I have all these ideas or? I mean, I love clothes. I mean, the first thing I do when I wake up is I look at all the shopping websites. What's new on matches? What's new on motor operandi? What's new? You know, I love clothes. I can't wait to see the new the new fashion shows. That's again, the next thing I look at is like what what new things are Vogue, Vogue runway? What's the latest show? I love shopping and I love fabric. So it's really when I see the fabric, I can almost see the clothes. So, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be able to create a lot of my own fabrics and prints and things. Um, but that wasn't always the case. I'd have to find it and then I'd have to envision what it was going to be. But now I can kind of create it. Um, but I still really enjoy shopping and looking and and uh, discovering new things. And just one thing always leads to another. And same with the research. I love learning about new things and I love learning about them and then talking about them or showing them off. And that's what to me is what my, my creation is. I think you can definitely tell in your work because, and I can feel that joy and optimism and that sense of curiosity around things. And so that that's amazing that you've been able to sustain that. And, and I think a lot of young designers will probably listen to this and wonder, how did she keep being so optimistic for so long? How did she keep surviving throughout being a designer throughout the all, all the ups and downs? And I would love to hear from you of, you know, how you've been able to overcome things despite feeling challenged, despite pandemic, despite, you know, financial woes. What's, what's really kept you? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been blessed. You know, it's like, this is what I wanted to do since I was four. And, you know, it's not that it hasn't been easy. You know, it's like, it's a trade-off. You decide what's more important to you. And I really feel I was born to do this. I really feel that this has been my focus and my priority. And each time when there were life choices, I wanted to just continue being a fashion designer. I think that, you know, what, what keeps me going is finding a beautiful fabric. I'm like, I'm like a magpie that sees silver. It's like suddenly, oh, this is all I can see. And all I can think about is like what I'm going to make out of it. It's just how I'm wired. So I think I'm lucky. I'm really, I'm really fortunate. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our producer and editor is Kylie Holloway. Our engineer is Brandon McFarland and our executive producer is Hannah Rosen. The Cut is made possible by the excellent team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Lindsay Peoples. Thank you for listening.